Welcome to Field Hockey Canada's The Scoop Podcast. I am delighted to be here as your co-host, Ali Baggett, and I am joined by the always entertaining Kevin Underhill. Kevin, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Yeah, just just living it here in the home office as has become, I guess, the norm. You know, I do wonder if like we'll be back in physical offices soon. I'm not saying I'm necessarily want to rush into it or anything, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been crazy like being in the home office now for like what 15, 16 months, like 16 months. That's nuts. You're in a home office too, right? Yeah, I've been working from home since, uh, you know, that first March go home and stay home uh, call to order uh, across the country. And, you know, it's, it's been pretty good. You know, I've gotten pretty comfortable as a, as a mom of a five-year-old and I have a pretty senior dog at home. So, uh, you know, I could take care of him and, you know, start dinner a little early, get all the mom things done. It's pretty, it's pretty comfortable and a little less, uh, a little less stressful. And, you know, I love technology and I work in communications. So most of my colleagues are really, really uh, efficient at communicating online. So it's actually uh, opened up some doors for how things could move forward in the future and maybe be a little bit more efficient and uh, people can be a bit more comfortable at home. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And and I mean, just this example of us being able to hop on and do these podcasts and interviews so sort of seamlessly from different places in the country, like that's that's a definitely a positive that we probably wouldn't have been as quick to jump to uh prior to all this but yeah i mean yeah we probably we've everyone's kind of done talking about like what that moment was like when they like knew they had to go work from home for the rest of the year or whatever but i just remember i was i was actually gonna work from home for like a few days that week anyway so i brought my like my like setup kind of back to my home office so to speak it wasn't really a home office at that point but and then i just never went back like it was like truly like I was like oh I'll just like pack my stuff up and and bring it home for like a work from home couple of days and that couple of days turned into a year and a half. So, yeah, I can't what even a remember. I can't even remember the last time I was in my office. It's probably like dusty and full of storage now. Um, but yeah, it's pretty crazy that we just kind of left not knowing when we we'd be back, and then like over a year later, you you could maybe go into your office. Like I don't know, it's it's pretty nuts. <laughs> yeah, and we had just moved to the Richmond Olympic Oval for uh, Field Hockey Canada's like head office, and and we had just sort of like found our rhythm of like how it was going to work with using the facilities and the office, and it was just sort of like starting to feel like home, and then it was like nope. <laughs> so. Yeah, hopefully sometime soon we'll be able to spend a little bit more time in there, um, safely, of course. And um, yeah, but again, we're not here to talk about home offices. We're here to talk about the men's national team's road to Rio. Who did you have on the show today, Ali? Hey, Kev, road to Tokyo. You, you're liking that alliteration too much. We're not going to Rio. We did that already. Come I on. know, I know. <laughs> uh, comes off the tongue nicely, but you know, I had a really, really great conversation with Tony Kindler, goalkeeper for the, the Canadian men's national team, uh, one of two. And, uh, you know, he is such a delight to talk to. We almost had a very, like, philosophical conversation. We talked a lot about, uh, you know, the challenges uh, that he's gone through that are so applicable to any any situation whether you're a kid or someone at work or a parent so you know it, it's pretty cool to catch up with someone who's had such a, a long career and and has a lot of experience and is just a really down-to-earth guy yeah I mean I've always got along with Tony and and one thing that I one thing that I like about him is his 
like they bring other younger goalkeepers into the program for you know camps like workshops or or certain tours and whatnot and I always find he works really well with the younger goalies and so um you know and and I hate to say this and you know Carter and Kindler don't listen to this part but they're not gonna be around forever and it's nice to see that Kindler you know has that sort of like eye for the next set of goalies and giving them feedback and stuff because I mean Kindler and Carter are both a couple of legends but they're going to be gone soon-ish not too soon I hope but and you know some people have to fill their shoes so him passing on that knowledge is like really great yeah I mean I think the great thing about Kindler and, and Carter too is really they are big picture people and I think that's what makes them such great athletes is that they're not just there for sort of their own their own thing and what they want out of it. They really see it as a duty. Uh, everything that they do is a duty to the sport. So, um, you know, if somebody were to tell them that their time's up, they would respect that and do what they could to help Canada continue on. And I think that's why you see those attribute, attributes in them is they also want the younger generation to push them to continue to be better. And um, they are humble enough guys to accept that challenge and they will play until as long long as they are probably, you know, able to compete at the level that they feel they can contribute to Team Canada. Um, But of course, you know, Kindler, uh, they just, him and his wife just had a baby in April, uh, you know, during the pandemic and they have a, they have a place uh, on the mainland too. So, um, you know, life also has to get on too. So I have no idea what, what's in store for, for Tony, but, you know, certainly he has a mass amount of lessons for all of us to take away through his experience uh, in sport for sure. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to step too much on your guys' chat, but I'm sure, you know, it came up that he is, you know, has for his entire career basically and being involved in a goalie duel for that starting spot. And I think that's interesting because it's not some teams have like a clear cut number one and a backup. And and you know, but Team Canada over the last five, six years at least has had like a one A, one B both dueling it out for starting spots and that I mean, I'm sure that came up, but like just looking at his cap total, knowing that, um, you know, depending on how things go over selection period, like he's approaching that 100 cap mark. So um, maybe just touch a little bit on that, but but obviously he'll he'll be the best person to talk about that. Yeah, of course. I mean, I won't have too many spoilers, but certainly 100 caps are around the corner. I think he's at 98 right now. And, um, you know, the the athletes are pretty good about not being too stuck on the numbers. But I think something that most listeners who haven't played on a national team uh, wouldn't know is that how hard it is to get an international cap. And early in in his career, um, it would have been even harder. Nowadays, games are a little bit more um, easier to come by with all the FIH tournaments and tours and things. So then you add on top of that that it's a it's a position that you know it's one or the other usually it's really hard and uh, we did joke that perhaps uh, goalkeeping caps should count as two caps per game because of how hard it is <laughs> yeah. to get so you know I think I think yeah you're right like it's it's it is really uh, important to think about how that milestone goes and um, but you know one thing does resonate with me is after they qualified for the Tokyo Games when they were in West Vancouver and I interviewed Paul Bundy the head coach at the time he said you know this is this win is 
so big and he cannot give enough credit to both goalkeepers for the role they played. And I think that's really important to recognize is how they both contribute to the team's success in very different ways. Um, and so they're actually at an advantage, I think, to not have such a huge discrepancy between a, a starting goalie and a backup goalie. They really can pull the strengths of whichever goalie, depending on what team or what situation. And we've been able to see that over the years, which is really, really cool. So we definitely talked about that, but we also talked about the mental struggles and, and ups and downs of, of how that process works. So you know, there's a lot to take away uh, from this interview. And, uh, you know, I think we should just get right to it. Today's guest on the FHC podcast is Anthony Kindler, uh, goalkeeper for Canada's men's national team. Uh, Tony made his debut in 2008 in Vancouver playing against the USA, and he's had some major games along the way, including the 2010 and 2018 Commonwealth Games, the 2014 World Cup in Bhubaneswar, the 2011 Pan American Games, and uh, most recently the 2019 Olympic qualifiers in West Vancouver. Tony, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So, Tony, you are on the verge of uh, 100 international caps, uh, you know, 98 caps right now. Uh, what does that mean? Like, how hard, put it into perspective, how hard is it to be getting those types of caps in a goalkeeper position, especially when we have two very strong goalkeepers for Canada? Yeah, I mean... Uh... I think you said in the intro, I got my first cap in 2008 and here we are in 2021 and we're talking about a hundred caps. Um, so obviously it's, it's something that's super special to me, um, that that milestone's around the corner. Uh, I think it's, it's sort of, uh, a long, long career of perseverance, I guess, and, and sort of, um, you know, dedication to something that I really love and a group of guys that I love being around. And to, to be on the verge of celebrating 100, 100 international matches is, is something super special. And, and as you said, uh, kind of unique as a goalie, we, we kind of joke, joke on the team that every goalie cap is worth two player ones because I've, I've had a, a lot of newer guys uh, eclipse my cap total. Uh, and so, you know, uh, yeah, it is what it is. But um, it's, it's definitely been, been challenging to get every cap. And obviously with the battle that Carter and I have shared over the entire course of my career, you know, it makes it that much more special every time you get to start in a, in a match because, you know, you've, you've earned that opportunity. Yeah, I think we should uh, pitch to the FIH Athletes Committee for that uh, two caps per per game for the goalies. <laughs> exactly. I totally feel you. It's so hard, right? Um, yeah, so, you know, just thinking of those 98 caps, are there any moments that uh, really stand out to you? Either they're sort of pivotal career moments for you or just, you know, soaking it in. It was just so great. I'd say from early career days, uh, it would be the Commonwealth Games in Delhi. Uh, so that was in 2010. That was kind of my first real taste of what international hockey was because, you know, I'd played in a, in a home series in Vancouver. Um, I had experienced Pan Am Cup in 2009 as... Uh, second keeper in Chile and, and we'd won gold over there so you know I'd been a part of exciting moments but to step into Delhi uh Ali you were there as well right yeah yeah, yeah we right? Were both, so, that was my first major exactly. games too <laughs> yeah so you know to walk into to the the, the major Dan Chan stadium in in Delhi and and to have you know the crowds that were out there uh was 
was kind of an eye opener um, and something that I had never really experienced in the sport of field hockey. Uh, I mean, you'd, you'd witness some stuff on on YouTube, but but really to feel it in person was something completely different. And we were fortunate um, to play England with India playing right after us. So about by halftime, the crowds were really starting to filter through. And I just remember that was the first time that I'd really experienced a match where as the ball's kind of crossing halfway line towards you, you, you don't hear anything. You just hear like a just like kind of like this this yeah this kind of wind almost hitting you so uh, you know that was that was really uh, I think the hook for me <laughs> for international hockey and it's something that that I've you know I've, I've cherished uh, to date and then uh, I'd say like in between uh, World League three or, or maybe it was World League semifinals in London uh, so that would have been in 2000 and I want to say 18 maybe I'm, I'm bad with dates. There's some of our guys on our team who have like this photographic memory of being like, yeah, it was, like, it was a Monday at 6 p.m. Uh, you know, but anyways, um, so that one was was just special just because of the, the whole infrastructure of the tournament. I mean, that Lee Valley Hockey Stadium over there is is a world-class facility. The volunteers there were incredible um, and they just made such a spectacle of, of the whole uh, event. And it was the first time we'd beaten India in in a considerable amount of time, so that was that was that was definitely a highlight. And then, obviously, the Olympic qualifier in Vancouver. Um, you know, to be able to share in that moment with all of our friends, family, um, people who have supported us for so long, uh, it's it's so incredibly special to have done that on home soil and the drama of the game and you know just just what it was. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll forever, uh, forever go down as, as, as one of the greatest days. Yeah, I was talking with Tupper about, uh, about that weekend, and I was fortunate enough to be covering that event uh, on you guys. So I had mm-hmm. a front row seat. But, you know, it, it's often that, you know, the goal scorers get a lot of credit. You know, you talk about, like, Frozy and Gordy in the shootout. And you talk about, um, you know, you talk about Tupper's, uh, Tupper's stroke and Ollie's goal. But you made this, like, incredible save I believe it was after Ollie's goal so you were I think you guys were down one goal in aggregate scoring um you know can you walk us through that moment and you know how do you just how are you ready for that you know you're watching your team at the other end and then all of a sudden this glorious moment for the other team comes down and you shut down Ireland so like is that a is that a pivotal moment in your brain still yeah of course um uh, it was an it was kind of an interesting series too because just the game flow of both matches was was not really like a very Canadian performance. I mean, we're used to hard nosed defending, low scoring affairs, you know, uh, a bit of counter attack hockey here and there. And all of a sudden, here we were we were behind the eight ball. Uh, Ireland played 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 some really good hockey. We made a few mistakes, and they they did a good job of capitalizing. And in that second game, when they had scored that early goal I just remember thinking to myself where you know I was like there's for sure going to be at least one one more moment um that you'll have an opportunity to kind of determine whether or not we still stay in it or or whether it's game over and just just uh it's funny I I vividly remember having that thought cross my mind being like you know just be ready for that moment and let's make sure we put ourselves in a position where you know we give ourselves a chance and and lo and behold that that kind of through ball went through and 
you know, I kind of bit on the first fake and then luckily managed to stay, stay on my feet and, and get across and huck myself across and, 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 you know, and, and, and made that save. And then, and then, yeah, a few minutes later, the guys managed to manage to put it, pull it together. So, um, yeah, just, just a crazy, crazy, crazy game. It's still even like difficult difficult to talk about it because you visualize every single moment and it's like you know you get the goosebumps again and uh yeah was, I wasn't even was playing surreal, and I get one. I get the goosebumps I mean it was just such an incredible I mean talk about entertainment uh it was very yeah. entertaining I'm sure as a player it was very ner- <laughs> nerve-wracking with so much on the line but you know what advice do you have for um, young players who are, you know, waiting for that moment, you know, they're maybe they're on the bench and they're just waiting for that, those few moments, or they are a goalkeeper and they're standing around for a long time. How do you stay engaged, um, with your team and with the game? So you are ready when you get that moment, no Mm -hmm. matter how long it or short it is. Yeah. I mean, goalkeeping is such an individual position and everybody's going to do it a little bit differently. I know for me, um, what helps me stay engaged is constantly communicating and staying, you know, involved that way. Even if the guys can't even hear me, like, uh, you know, I spoke about loud stadiums. I know that, you know, you can barely hear five feet in front of you, but I'm still screaming at, you know, our, our left back to get to the line or whatever it is, because that just keeps me engaged. And, you know, while I'm not physically involved, it just allows my mind to stay sharp I'm tracking the ball everywhere it goes, and um, and and I think that that helps me be prepared for those moments. Um, I mean, there's not a, a one size fits all model for for goalkeeping, but that's certainly a strategy that I've, I've implemented that seemed to be be successful. Yeah, I mean, you talk about it being an individual position and and really those moments. And I'm thinking back to I think it was like a hockey series final, maybe in like. Maybe in 2017, you guys were playing Malaysia and you were up 3-1 and you made this like insane stroke bottom left corner with your glove and just, you know, give us an insight as to what goes through your brain to have the right balance of sort of composure and energy and then sort of dialing in all your training uh, in a moment like a stroke because um, that's a lot of pressure, whether it's in the game or, 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 you know, when we used to have them as tiebreakers, you know, what goes through your mind, um, either there or in shootouts? Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, I think part of it is like preparation and just knowing that you've seen, uh, a million reps, uh, over, over the course of your training. So that kind of gives you a bit of confidence in the first place. I mean, strokes as a keeper, you're not meant to you know, you're not meant to, to save it, right? The advantage is on, on, on the player. So I think part of it too is just having that mentality that, you know, the pressure's on, on the player standing over the ball. And that's why you see all these antics from some goalies, you know, they're delaying and slapping their pads and whatever and, and trying to do whatever they can to throw the, the, the player off. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm in favor of, of those kind of things, but, you know, it's, it, it is a little bit of like a, it is a bit of like a peacock fest, right? Where you're kind of trying to make yourself look as big and, and just plant a seed of doubt. Cause I think, I think strokes are, are more mental than, than anything else. Um, because if a player puts the ball exactly where he wants to put it, chances are it's going to go in unless you've read it. And, and so, yeah, the preparation in terms of watching video and kind of having a bit of a sense, you kind of can pick up sometimes some really small tells, but in international hockey guys are good enough that, you know, they know that you're looking for any little advantage. And so they'll show you one thing to put it the other way. So it kind of just comes down to just 
you know, embracing the moment. And I think that's part of goalkeeping too. You are a little bit on an island there. You're playing a different, uh, something completely unique within a team setting. Um, and it does allow you to be a difference maker in certain circumstances. And it's kind of embracing that moment and embracing that um, responsibility, I guess, even where, you know, you get that opportunity to, to dictate whether or not, you know, you, you, yeah, it's a game changing moment. Um, and for that particular situation, they had missed, uh, they actually missed the net on their first stroke earlier in the match uh, towards the same, same direction. And, and it was just one of those things where I just had this gut feeling where they changed actually the, the person who was taking, taking the stroke. Um, and I just had this feeling that it was, it was going to go, go right there and, and thankfully went the right way and, and yeah, made the save. So, <laughs> well, you know, I've seen my share of goal celebrations and I have to say your celebration on the save was, <laughs> was pretty worthy of uh, recording and capturing. So it's definitely a moment that sticks out in my head, but you know, you're talking a lot about this uh, sort of, you know, mental preparation. Do you have a favorite, I mean, you're the goalie, so you're, you're last man on the line there, but do you have a favorite set piece uh, that you prefer to defend, whether it's the shootout, the stroke or the penalty corners? I mean, you've got crazy things happening on corners these days with the drag flickers and deception. Um, is there one that you really get up for more than the other? Uh, I don't, I don't think so necessarily. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, to be totally honest, the way I try to play is, is I try to play a pretty consistent sort of, at, at least mentally. Yeah, I try to have the same approach regardless of what's going on because I find that, you know, sometimes, especially early in my career, there was like moments where you get so excited and then you end up out of position because you're just chasing the ball around. And I think over time, you just gain more and more comfort in what you're doing. And that allows you to sort of approach any moment the same, uh, whether it's a stroke, a shootout, a, a free play shot, or, or a PC. That's fair. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> um, you know, I just want to go back in time and thinking, thinking about like young boys who are just starting out in spring league, you know, how does someone get into goalkeeping and realize this is something that they can do and that they want to do that they're going to enjoy? Like, is it, you know, attributes from other sports like what is it about mm -hmm. goalkeeping you know like what is that attracting feature what kind of a young player do you think would uh do well to explore this position so i started playing field hockey pretty late um i only started really playing when i was 15 16 years old um i always grew up playing soccer like you know street hockey with my friends uh all, all that kind of stuff and i was like a diehard canuck fan uh growing up you know I, I, for some reason i was always drawn to like kirk mclean and like goalies and what they were doing and i just remember always having my like road warrior street hockey pads and i was always the guy that wanted to be in net and i, and I don't really know what the fascination was maybe it was the equipment maybe it was the helmet like i don't i don't know but for some reason like i i just loved being in that position where the ball was flying at me. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't, yeah, it's hard to pinpoint exactly like one attribute, but I think then as it's kind of like grown into the high performance, cause I played also some soccer goalie as well. And I think it is a little bit of that, like that idea where within a team setting, a goalie does have that sort of like special opportunity to kind of be the hero or the goat, I guess. And it's, it's thriving on that platform where you have that additional pressure 
And I've always liked that. Like even in soccer, if there was like a penalty shot, I always wanted to be the one that, that took it. Like I always wanted to kick it and then I wanted to jump in net and be the goal. Like I it just, I always relished those situations where it was like, okay, what's games on the line? Like I want that. Um, and, and so I've got a feeling maybe it's part of that, that attracted me to being it and, and to pursuing it. Um, I mean, from a more practical standpoint with field hockey, there's only right-handed sticks and I was a left-handed hockey player. So there was that logistical <laughs> hurdle to, to go through. So maybe I'm going to suggest that now. I'm going to suggest that now <laughs> yeah. to all the kids that say they're left-handed. I'm like, maybe you should try goalie. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. <laughs> No, I think that's good. And I think that for uh, high performance athletes and for very competitive people, they can really, that really resonates with them. That moment where you get to actually shine, um, you know, we, we live for those moments where, you know, and it's not a, it's not an ego thing. It's just like, wow, all of my hard work, I was able to rise to the, to the challenge and, and step up when I needed to step up and support my team in this way. Um, but you know, on the flip side of that, being a goalie, there's lots of moments where it's not glamorous and not glorious, especially with the role being so specialized. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, the downs and how you cope and maybe some advice for players who are finding themselves in a situation where, you know, they don't get picked for a team, they're, they're on the bench for longer, or they're a backup goalie or, or something like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd say that that's obviously the hardest part of being a goalie. Cause you know, you always, it's very easy to kind of talk about good moments and 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 you know the saves and all this rest of it but the reality is is again we, we joked about it at the beginning i started in 2008 and i'm only coming around at 100 caps now and so you know if i look back at my career it's a lot of the the and i don't want to call them necessarily failures but it's like you know the disappointing moments um that have really provided the opportunity for growth and and actually not only as like a hockey player, but also just in terms of my just character. Um, and, and I know that sounds a bit cliche, but, but I think, uh, you know, maybe let's start first from like a playing perspective. So, you know, I've, I've had moments, uh, probably the, the earliest and, and most significant moment of, of missing an opportunity was 2011 Pan Am games in Guadalajara. I played the final against Argentina and we were up one, nothing at halftime with the ticket to the Olympics in London on the line. And then, you know, we were kind of weathering a bit of a storm and the game ended up three, one. And just as a, as kind of a relatively new goalie to the team with some inc incredible kind of veterans and, and, you know, icons of Canadian field hockey in, among the, the player group as a goalie, you wear so much of that burden right and and i remember just like bawling you know like you because you feel like you not only let down yourself but you let down the entire team and and to be totally honest that that one took a little bit of time to really kind of pick up the pieces and i'd say there were a couple of years even there where like i my performance was quite variable just because that seed of doubt was officially planted you know to Prior to that, it was like a lot of a lot of good moments and a lot of like happy times and you know Commonwealth Games and exciting and we were winning and you know playing tough against good teams. But you know uh, that one for sure um, resonated with me and 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 had a lasting impact. And and I think that's probably the first time where I got kind of really introduced to the mental side of goalkeeping and really thinking about you know how do I prepare myself mentally for an international 
and, and trying to come up with routines and consistency and, and what does consistency mean and, and how can I achieve it? And I would say that probably only in the last like three or four years, like this past Olympic cycle, that's where I genuinely feel like I've got a good understanding of how I myself get prepared <clears throat> for an international match. And, and, and that doesn't change whether it's a friendly or, or, you know, a Olympic qualifying game. So, so I'd say the, the mental aspect and, and, you know, reaching out to, to some, um, sports psychologists, I know we have, especially in some of the provincial and, and junior national programs, I know that that's an area that's, that's sort of been, been flagged in the past. And I think that there are some resources now, but I encourage people to reach out to those kind of professions. Cause I really think as a goalkeeper that helps. And then it's also understanding that, you know, I was still quite young in my development as a keeper and realizing that, you know, very few people experience exclusive success from a very young age, you know, for, yeah, for every, you know, Connor McDavid, there's, there's a ton of, a ton of people who have to do a ton of work in order to kind of get to, get to that point. So, um, you know, I unfortunately was one of those people who needed to put in the hours and, and, you know, once you've hit that critical point where you're like, wow, okay, I've put in the hours, like I can genuinely, I'm not like, I'm not trying to lie to myself or, or, or make myself believe that I'm ready. Like I truly am ready and I can, I, you know, whatever happens, you know, happens, but, but I'm prepared for this moment. And so that was just a combination of, uh, of probably those two elements and, and a lot of time and a lot of patience and along the way too, you know, uh, missed, missed tournaments where you have to, once again, you know, you, you kind of build yourself up only to get knocked back down. And then it's sort of the crossroads and, and you, you, you kind of have to determine, okay, do I believe in myself? That's, that's question number one. Number two, do I believe that I can contribute to the team and, and be a difference maker? That's number two. And then number three, okay, what am I going to do about it? Because I can either sulk and be upset and feel hard done by or I can actually make an action plan and say, okay, this is, I'm going to work on X, Y, Z to bridge the gap or to, to sort of showcase my talents and, and what I can do. And, and, you know, I've, I've, I like to think that I've been fairly consistent in that approach, despite having several moments of, you know, deep, deep, deep self-doubt and, and, you know, moments where I really was like, okay, what am I doing this for? You know, we're not getting paid millions of dollars. You do it because you love it. And, and it's a mixture of just love for the team, love for, for the sport and, and for those, those incredible moments. And it's also part stubbornness where I'm like, shit, I swear I can do this. Like, I know I've like, I, I, can, I can feel it. I like, I definitely can do it. And it's that self-belief that's kept me going. We're going to take a break to talk about our presenting sponsor, Griffin Hockey. Griffin is the official equipment and apparel partner of Field Hockey Canada. They are supporting the development of the sport in Canada by providing top quality equipment to Canadian players, coaches, and officials. Check out the Griffin website now by going to griffinhockey.com. They have an amazing catalog of sticks, stick bags, backpacks, footwear, protective equipment. Field Hockey Canada is proud to be supported by Griffin Hockey. 
what of all of these experiences do you think you can take to, you know, quote, the real world? Uh, you know, you're, you're leading Osaka Hockey Americas, you know, you're coaching, um, you know, you're, you're a community ambassador for Frontline Medical, um, and you're a dad now. Um, so, you know, yeah. like, you know, you've got a, your, your, your daughter was born in April, is that right? Um, That's right. A pan- pandemic baby. I mean, you've got all these things happening outside of your life. How, how have these moments as an athlete, um, how do you think they're going to help you, um, you know, in those situations? Yeah, I'd say for anybody that's kind of considering whether or not pursuing amateur athletics is, is worth it, I'd say hands down probably the best decision that I've made. And, and it's weird to say because you look around at some of your peers that you <clears> – <throat> grew up with her or in high school and you know you see some of them in finance and in business and sure they're they're living in a more glamorous place and maybe driving a better car uh and aren't waking up at five in the morning to go to field hockey pitch at six you know but um but the reality is is you know the i'd say the the sort of teamwork aspect um working together and and yeah working together to for a common goal um I'd say that sort of mental resilience and mental toughness uh, can't be understated. Um, I'd say uh, even even stuff like time management uh, becomes critically important and and, and something that you learn uh, as an amateur athlete. And I think just the overarching theme that like you you know you you're pursuing something that you're passionate about, uh, and I think that's that's something that's super important. You know, like. Yeah, the the kind of work life sort of aspect, you'll you'll get there eventually. But it's you have a limited window of opportunity to really go after something that you you love doing. Um, and it's not for fame, it's not for fortune, it's not for anything. It's for some. It, it really doesn't make sense to be honest when you when you look at the the like business analytical side of it. But it's because you know, I think there's something noble about about kind of. And I, would, I definitely don't use the word sacrifice, but it's committing time and, and energy and focus towards something like pursuing an Olympic a, a ambition or or even just making a national team. And, and uh, we, we kind of joke about it on tour now that you we the tour life, like some of the stories, these are these are things that anytime we come back together, it, it's the same stories get brought up and it's, it's so awesome where you're talking about like joking about things that happen with guys like Rob short or Paul Wetloff or, you know, that era, which, which, which were uh, thankfully on the team when I, when I first joined um, and, you know, and then you got this whole new crop of guys like Finn Boothroyd and, and Jamie and, and all these guys like, and, and it's, it's just so fun. And it, <laughs> you're going to sound old, but I feel like I can now as a dad, but it's like, you feel young still, right? Like you joke around like you're 20 years old and, uh, there's something just so special about that bond that you have with the guys and that are all so committed to the same goal. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's a hard thing to explain why you do it. And it's a hard thing to explain what's so special about it, but just it is. Um, and as an athlete yourself, I'm sure you felt exactly that, that, that same thing. Yeah. Wow. I mean, Tony, I think you really hit the nail on the head because I think like all the things you just said, those are the right reasons to be um, committing to the national team. As you said, it's not sacrificing, it's committing. And I think for players who are in it for those other reasons, you see very quickly how they fizzle out or how um, they're not able to kind of stay with it. It's because they're motivated by these external things that aren't, aren't, 
aren't good. Like you're not going to get paid a lot. You're you're not going to be able to get three degrees and you know climb the business corporate ladder. Uh, that's all going to be on pause. And you know I always say that I think that one line that says you know athlete, you know Team Canada or Team BC never gets enough credit on a resume because it's like well you haven't、mm. worked in eight years and it's like you know well what do you think I've been doing? I've been doing time management. I've been pushing myself physically, mentally, teamwork, leadership. Like it's incredible, right?、Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and just to jump on that, I think that, like, thankfully, I think that's something that's coming. You know, the spotlight's being shone on that a little bit more. And you know, thanks to programs like Game Plan, for example, I know that they're trying to connect athletes with with different corporate partners who really see、uh, an alignment in terms of you know,、um, yeah, like, you know. Personal values and, and corporate values, and, and sort of all those different skills that you you develop as an athlete. So this is kind of more out to the parents of young kids. Like, don't don't tell your kid that they shouldn't be doing it just because you know they, you think that they should be、uh, you know jumping into the the working world. I mean, there's there's plenty of big businesses, whether it's finance, whatever it is. You know, every every sort of walk of life that that see the value in having athletes and and, and see athletes as an asset for exactly all those reasons. Yeah, and so many,、uh, so many proof points in some of the national team alumni who've gone on to do some incredible things,、mm-hmm. and and have probably made、uh, connections and relationships through their athletic career that have helped、um, propel them to to those moments. But you know,、um, before we wrap up, Tony, I want to chat a little bit about、um, the Olympics because it's not far away. We're you know under fifty days,、uh, selections around the corner. You know, talk just a little bit about what it has. Been like,、uh, you know, the last year and a half in a pandemic. The many of the teams in your pool have not stopped training, not stopped competing in Europe. They can drive half an hour and get an international in. We're kind of isolated in Canada.、Uh, you know, what has it been like? What have those preparations been like? And what are the feelings heading into final selections? Well, it's certainly been unique, right?、Uh, I, I think everyone's always said, you know, obviously in a pandemic, everything's going to be unique, but. Um, our circumstance, with a mixture of sort of the the quarantine rules,、um, social distancing rules, like you know, as a, as a Canadian team going to the Olympics, you always have to take the approach of the underdog because just geographically speaking, we're never going to get the same preparation as any other team. But you throw you know COVID in the mix,、uh, and and obviously that's that's now、uh, proven to be.、Uh, Another hurdle that we need to kind of、uh, jump over, but I think as a group, I mean, we're so used to these kind of things, you know, well, these kind of things meaning challenges, right?、Um, and and oddly enough, I, you know, I don't see our group sort of using it as a crutch or you know talking about it too much. I think it's just all something that we recognize as just a fact. You know, yes, we, we we would love to have been more prepared, or we'd love to have you know been able to travel more and compete more, but that's just not 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 possible right now. And so you know, you can either dwell on that, or we can get to back to training and, and making the most of the opportunities that we have together. But you know,、uh, obviously, it, it can't be. Uh, understated, you know, and I'm sure Scott might have mentioned it previously that you know this past tour was probably the first time that our entire group was together in like 15 months. I mean, which、That's、is wild,、crazy. right? Yeah. So you know, it's it's been a lot of like individual accountability to keep yourself in shape and try to be sharp.、Um, 
as a keeper, yeah, it's been definitely challenging because your eye relies on, you know, seeing the ball and, and reacting to the ball uh, and, and gaining those like kind of quick motor pathways, um, which this tour was, was, was huge for that uh, in that respect. And, and yeah, I think we've got a, a, a very uh, aggressive training plan between now and uh, selection day. Uh, and then all the way through the Olympics, and yeah, I, to be totally honest, this is this is the fun stuff, right? I mean, when like selections are on the line for something that you know every single person in that pool uh, of, of athletes is just you know they're they're ready to to give their you know left arm for right. It's there, yeah. I, I love seeing our group so committed, so competitive. You know, there's guys yelling, there's guys you know throwing their body on the line uh and and that's what you need um especially if we're going to become uh, competitive and and try to achieve the ambitions that we have for the tokyo games and you know just last question around this is you know you're you have a, a mix on the team of sort of veterans you've got the tuppers and the pearsons who are like heading into their third olympics and and the gordies who've been through these big tournaments but then you have this uh this cohort of sort of younger guys who are uh, who are potentially gonna be you know first time olympians you know you you got jamie and and finn and all these young guys who are really just still getting started so how do you guys as leaders on the team ensure that the hype of of sort of we qualified we're going i'm going to be an olympian isn't the only bar you know like is it good enough to just be like we're here you know how do you make sure that it's more than that or do you yeah uh i mean that, that's kind of a good good question um i mean it's not all on you but you know <laughs> your opinion your opinion yeah no i i think I think part of it is also kind of understanding a bit of the history of like of, of what we've achieved as 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 feel hockey Canada on the on the men's side, um, and it's kind of carrying that torch into another Olympics and and recognizing the past to fuel you know the future sort of thing. Um, I think it's also just important to recognize you know that this isn't like a guaranteed thing, right? I, <laughs> I think what makes the Olympics and puts it often on like a pedestal is just, and it's the same thing with world cups. I mean, Canada, it's, it's not a, it's not a shoe in that, that we, we qualify for these types of events. And I think for some of the young guys they are like, Oh man, this international hockey thing is easy. Like, you know, we get through we're at world cups, we're at Pan Ams where, you know, this is great. Um, but I think it's just, yeah, just articulating, you know, how special this really is and, and what, what being an Olympian truly means and i think that that's the big picture like at least for myself the reason why like the olympics is such an important thing is, is it's not it's not just you know that we made it as a team but you know it's you're part of now this like fraternity of the most elite elite athletes and if you respect what that is i think it internally forces you to kind of yeah i use the word accountability again but stay accountable to that because I think if you don't, if you don't understand the gravity of, of, of what you're getting yourself into, I think you, you leave yourself um, to be disappointed at the end of the day to look back at what could have been and, and yeah, and, and just, you know, have, have a bit of regret from something that should be so abundantly special and, and you know, clearly the highlight of, of a career and an opportunity to do something so special. I mean, we've always talked about top eight making quarterfinals and whatever. And, 
that still remains the goal. I mean, we, we, we want to do something that Canada hasn't done in a, in a number of years. And, and you know, the, the, the cards are probably stacked against us a little bit with, with our pandemic prep. But, you know, we, we remain kind of unfazed and, and, and ready to go. I love that. That sounds that's I think every Canadian hockey fan wants to hear that. And uh, you put it so eloquently. And also, you know, for all the players who are either injured or train with you right up till the last day, but don't get to go. You know, it's also for those players who are, you know, arguably Olympians, too, uh, in a sense, everybody that helped you qualify all those preparation matches, too. Right. Hundred percent, and especially in a in a sport like field hockey, where we are such a small community. I, I mean, it's it's so understated, uh, and and I have heard a few of our guys, you know, in their podcasts mention, you know, how vital the community's been. But you know, as someone who's been around for thirteen years, the amount of times that that our team would just be lost without whether it's community support, uh, people stepping up, even from like coaches stepping up out of the blue to help us when when we were down uh you know obviously fundraising i mean our alumni have been such an integral part of of our success and and so you know exactly as you said uh, paying respect to all those people who've who've been a part of this journey uh, i think is so critically important and and that kind of helps you stay motivated stay hungry and and you know do your best i guess Yeah, well, Tony, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for carving out a little slice of time as, uh, you know, I'm sure your household is very busy with a a young child. Um, Good luck in the rest of your training and selection. And no matter what happens, uh, you know, just from me, I know that you've played a key role um, in the many years of this program. It's been a pleasure to watch you play. Um, It's always a pleasure chatting to you and connecting with you. So thank you for joining me. Good luck in the rest of your preparations. And uh, yeah, stay in touch while you're uh, things are happening. Awesome, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and yeah, I look forward to, to, to having many more chats in the future. Sounds good. The Scoop podcast is created by Field Hockey Canada. It is hosted by Ali Baggett and Kevin Underhill, produced and edited by Kevin Underhill, and is sponsored by Griffin Hockey. The theme music is composed and produced by Adam Hesch. Special thanks to Grace Lee and Haley Yap, who helped in shaping the show as well. Thanks for listening.